Welcome to the Social Work Social Podcast. My name is Melanie Matthews, and I'm a registered social worker, as well as your host for this podcast. The Social Work Social is a place to explore the role of social workers in mental health treatment, social justice and advocacy, and other aspects of community work. But social workers rarely work in isolation, so we'll be talking not just to social workers, but other professionals and people with lived experience to learn about their understanding of mental health and mental health treatment. Before we begin today's episode, I have two disclaimers to make. First, you should be aware that all the information presented in this podcast is specific to Ontario, Canada, unless otherwise specified in the episode. Different professionals follow different rules and restrictions dictated by the regulatory body in their area. The second disclaimer is that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice or mental health treatment. Your mental health is unique, so what we talk about in this episode may not be quite right for supporting your mental health in the best way possible. So if you're interested in any of the topics presented here and want to know more about if the treatment options are right for you, be sure to get in contact with a professional directly. Now, let's get started on today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking to Hannah. Hannah is a social worker who I met when we were completing our Bachelor of Social Work degrees together. She just completed her Master of Social Work degree and will be sharing some of the insights she gained from going to graduate school during a pandemic, as well as her personal experience with burnout. There's a trigger warning for discussions of substance use for this episode. So hi everyone, my name is Yu Tong and I also go by Hannah. I am a 1.5 generation Chinese Canadian um, woman living in Toronto. So 1.5 generation may be a term that not a lot of people know about. It basically means that as a child I immigrated to Canada with a parent um, and anyone who immigrates with their parents at a young age can consider themselves 1.5 generation because they didn't actively participate in the immigration application process, but they were brought um, with along with other family members. So after completing my Bachelor of Social Work, I worked in the social services sector for a few years. And in 2020, I decided to go back to school. And by the time this episode goes live, I would have obtained my Master of Social Work degree. And right now, my passion project is actually my podcast called The Hyphenated Nation, where I invite people from all walks of life to talk about experiences with their identity and their mental health. Amazing. Thank you for being here today. And congratulations on your MSW. Um, Tell me, what was it like getting an MSW during a pandemic? Because like that sounds like such a challenge. It definitely wasn't planned. um, But at the same time, I'm so grateful to be um, at school during a very difficult time because a lot of people during this time had to switch jobs, lost jobs, and you know, I think a lot of people went through big transitions in this past year and a half. Um, in terms of the actual school itself, I did plan, like in 2019, I already knew that this is something I wanted to do. It's just the fact that everything from in-person changed to online format. So that was very interesting and new. I haven't met anyone from my class or my specialization this year so far hopefully we can meet each other in the future but that's something i really miss is just having those like organic conversations in the school library in the hallways in class and so i think you know kudos to all the profs that some of which uh some of whom who um have really difficult time with navigating zoom classroom settings so you know, good on them for trying it out. And 
it's been a really interesting experience. Um, I still am going through the process of, um, you know, reflecting on this whole year and what it's done for my education. I would say that at the end of the day, I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to go to school and do it in a setting where I felt safe. I feel like a lot of people really rose to the challenge of making sure that people were still able to get an education during the pandemic. The teachers, mm-hmm. the professors, everyone really, really tried hard to make sure that people still got a really good experience. I know I've heard that from professors and from friends who are teachers that it's been a challenge, but they've definitely tried hard. And, and obviously it's paid off for people like you who are still able to graduate. Yeah. And another thing I want to share is about placement. I think a lot of people had a really strong opinion about doing their placements in person, which is wonderful. And there were actually still placements done in person, specifically those, for example, in some community settings and some hospital settings. I knew going in that I would much prefer doing something remote and I was given the opportunity to do that as well. So I think just having the flexibility of really navigating what experience um, I wanted and really had opportunity to pursue it was really good for me. Because otherwise, if I was forced to do an in-person placement, that would have caused me so much distress. Um, So that in itself, I think just having the flexibility around those pieces was very helpful to me, to me and I think a lot of other students. Honestly, I hope that the virtual placements stay even when we end up going back to being able to do things in person because it was so good for accessibility. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I took a student during the pandemic um, in, in my own business, which was really kind of a unique experience both for myself and for the student. But it worked really well for her because she got to do something that she was really interested in, even though she lived in Sault Ste. Marie and I lived here in Toronto. And she had small children too. So she was able to set her own schedule. She didn't have to go anywhere. And it actually worked out really, really well for her to be able to get the experience she wanted and the placement hours she needed while still not having to sacrifice the rest of her life in order to be able to do it. So honestly, I hope that the option stays to continue doing virtual placements. I think it's been an important thing um, for us to understand how accessibility is so important for people. I think you bring up a wonderful point and that's something I thought of as well. I think social work education sometimes through all the requirements we we need in terms of placement hours and course hours, course credits, it can actually deter a lot of people who would do wonderfully in this um, career in this field, actually deters them from entering. And so I think like what you mentioned, a remote placement would, you know, increase accessibility. So it's wonderful. I mean, there's definitely some downsides to virtual placements as well. I know that you mentioned missing all of the kind of organic interactions that you would have had with all of your classmates. And I'd imagine that was true during your placement too. What was that like and what impact did it have on your mental health to be kind of isolated? Mm-hmm. So I think going into this whole year, so I was working uh, prior to going back to school And I was very strategic about really taking this year to, of course, get my degree, but also focus on my health and mental health. And so, you know, in a way, I feel like it was good for me to be isolated because I got to have, like, for example, do all these meetings with 
the people that are helping me in my life with my counselor, with my doctors remote, and I don't have to travel anywhere. So there was a lot of time saved in terms of that. So actually, I think my mental health drastically improved during the pandemic. Um, but I think that's because I was very strategic about what I needed this year. I knew that this year was going to be a year of healing for me, a year of um, studying and education for me. So I really focused on that. In terms of missing the social aspect of it, I think the first ha- uh, six months to a year, I had really like no social interactions in person. There was a time where I talk, I talked to myself and I said, when was the last time I met someone for the first time? Aside from my classmates virtually. And I couldn't, I didn't remember when. So I think that's when it really um, stuck out for me to say, wow, Hannah, like I am very social, uh, social isolated right now and I need to do something about it. And so I think that's kind of the reason why I I actually started my podcast because I felt really lonely and I felt like a lot of people felt lonely as well. So I thought, why not uh, share this platform with people who have important stories and voices to share? And in the process of creating my podcast, I felt like, again, my mental health improved significantly. I think it's just all about being strategic about filling the gaps that we have due to the pandemic in terms of not being able to see family, not being able to see friends in person, missing the physical touch, missing the organic, like saying hi to your neighbor, being friendly with people and not feeling like, you know, we have to keep our personal distance. So all of that I really miss. And I know that eventually we'll go back to that, hopefully. (laughs) But, you know, it's about being strategic. I think planning, you know, in the beginning of pandemic, it was a lot at once. But I think once we settled down, when it was like around June of last year, I knew this might be something that would stay for a long time, even the aftermath of not being able to see people for a very long time. So I put in things in my life that I knew would be beneficial. And it really, I think, paid off. Isn't that so funny that we both kind of had the same idea about the podcast because I started mine during the pandemic as well. And it's been a really great opportunity to reconnect with people and to meet new people too. It's been kind of interesting because at first I was just talking to my friends, um, but then I started having new people reach out to me over Instagram. And that's been an amazing experience. I've actually learned so much being able to do that. And I've reconnected with a lot of people. I don't think we'd be having this conversation right now if we didn't decide to start podcasts and uh, and feature each other on our on our podcasts. Exactly, so it's been an incredible experience. It's been really great. Yeah, I'm happy we were able to reconnect again. I think you're like the first person that I knew who started a podcast in my circle of people and friends I knew, and I thought it was such a courageous thing to do. So definitely a very um, inspirational. Oh, thank you. So now that you've completed your MSW, you're going to be moving back into the workforce. What are your plans from here? What what area of practice are you hoping to go into? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And it's a question that I'm still trying to figure out myself. Ever since I think doing my undergrad in social work, a lot of my classmates, you would know, like we were in the same class, but um, a lot of our classmates 
had a very specific, uh, specific niche that they wanted to fill. So for example, they want to do work with adolescents between age of 12 to 19, who has experienced sexual abuse in their childhood uh, through using CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So very specific things, right? So I was never like that. And I think through my master's education, it really dawned on me that I am passionate about supporting the helper. So what I mean by that is, so for example, my specialization was actually in leadership and management of human service organizations. And my leadership vision is really to enhance the capacity of employees who work for social services and human services by achieving their optimal health and wellness and to prevent, to, uh, prevent burnout. And that took many years for me to discover and find out. Um, I think a lot of times in the helping profession, we are so focused on helping our clients and their families that sometimes our own mental health and needs gets neglected and it's it's a cycle, right? So if we don't recover, if we don't take time, it gets kind of worse and worse and that's how kind of burnout happens. And it could happen anywhere, even in the most supportive work environment, having the most supportive manager. And I personally experienced that. I had the most wonderful team, uh, most wonderful manager, and it was like the perfect work setup anyone could ask for coming out of their bachelor's of social work, but I was feeling burned out. Um, and I really had to examine what made me feel that way. So I feel like with my MSW now completed, and my next step in my career, I really want to, you know, whether it be joining committees at work or actually holding a role that specifically targets and addresses the health and wellness of employees um, would be really, I think, interesting for me to go into. So that's something I'm passionate about. Um, I think with my background, I have had a lot of different experiences, I, I would say across the spectrum in terms of supporting people of all ages with their physical needs, emotional needs, and mental health needs. I think because of that experience, I feel confident in entering any, whether it be community service, whether it be hospital work. So yeah, I think um, that would be an area I would be interested in. Um, I hope that answers the question because I'm still trying to figure out what exactly I want to do. And I think like yourself, I have many passions, right? Like with the podcast, with my career. And so I think one message I want to share with, you know, social work education, uh, sorry, people in social edu work education, such as students or people in this field is that it's okay to have additional interests and a broad understanding and interest in social work. And it's also okay to have a very specific niche that you want to work with and work for. There is no right answer. There is no, it's just, there is a best answer for you. You just have to find the workplace and work setting that you love and you enjoy, but there is no, there's no right answer. You have to kind of figure that out yourself. So that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Amazing. And I think that like you, I didn't really know what kind of field I was going into either. I knew I wanted to do mental health, but mental health means so many things. You can do mental health in literally any social like service setting. So that didn't mean anything. And people would ask me really specific questions about what is it that you want to do? What are you going to do after graduation? What's your goal? And I didn't know. So I would just make up really silly things 
I think that one of my goals for a while was people would ask me, what do you want? It's like, I just want to have my own private office. Mm. That's what I want. Like, that's not a, that's not a career goal, Melanie. And also I have now achieved that because I have my own home office. So where am I going from here? Um, And I think I'm still figuring out that too. And and that's okay. Some people do have this really defined understanding of what their passion is and how they're going to achieve that and work. And other people are just kind of going through it, figuring it out as they're going and developing new passions as they go. And that's okay too. You don't have to have the answer right away or at all. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt pressure to pick something, anything, especially in my undergraduate education. Um, I think that was primarily around choosing the right, like choosing the placements in third and fourth year. And I can understand that. But I think that added just a layer of pressure that I did not need at the time because <laughs> I was really okay to do anything. Um, and who was I to say what I didn't want to do, what I did want to do, because I really knew nothing about social work. Um, I think something you mentioned is about having that flexibility with ourselves if our minds if i change my mind if my passions change it's completely fine i've seen so many practitioners who worked and kudos to them like 20 30 years at one organization but i think i would never be able to do that it's just not in me to do that because i like to do a a variety of different things i like to see my career grow i think we just have our own futures in our own hands so we get to really shape our future and what social work looks like. And we can also advocate for what social work looks like. Absolutely. I think one thing that I learned about myself immediately after finishing my MSW is that I'm probably never going to work a full-time nine to five job because I had one and well, technically it was 10 to six, but whatever, close enough. And I loved it. It was a great job and a great organization. The people were amazing. My boss was amazing. Even the executive director, it was a small enough organization that I had a personal relationship with the executive director and she was amazing too. But I wasn't happy working the same job all the time. It just kind of, yeah, it caused a lot of burnout because it it just wasn't what I wanted to do or it was what I wanted to do, but just not all the time. And so now with the consulting business that I do, I actually still work with that same organization, but not full time. And I get to work with a bunch of other organizations too, and then do like counseling and and therapy with clients and kind of just whatever I want, like the podcast and everything too. So I'll probably never be one of those people that works full time nine to five for 30 years. Instead, I'm going to make social work into what it is that I want to work for. And, and that's cool. I love that I can do that. Can I just add on and say that's incredibly courageous of you to do that? Because there is a risk you take um, from leaving a so-called nine to five, because it does come with stability. It does come with benefits. It does come with a somewhat of a streamlined, staggered kind of career progression and salary progression in some cases. So I think it's very courageous of you to lean into your what you want to do with your career and take it one step at a time because now you've built you know several different endeavors and it's incredible yeah i'm not gonna lie it was terrifying to quit that job and to decide that you know i wasn't gonna go back to the same kind of job afterwards and that i was gonna do my own thing i spent a lot of nights still scrolling through like indeed looking at jobs saying, you know, I could just give up. I could just do one of these. I could apply for any of them. I'm qualified. I could do it. Why don't I just 
do that instead. Be a lot less terrifying, but didn't. Decided to keep going with the path that I had chosen and, and I'm really happy with that. And I really hope that you end up finding a path that works for you as well, because I think your passion is really needed. I think that there's a lot of us in this field and in all fields, but in social services that experience that burnout and, and we really do need support and we need someone who's going to come in and be able to help us with that. I hope I can use my education in the future. We'll see where that takes me, but I'm open to it all. What is something that you learned about supporting other social workers with burnout in your education or in your placement? So I can speak from personal experience because I think I got myself out of a really deep <laughs> rut um, in, in 2020, 2019. So I can say from what I know so far, it really takes a whole team. And that's just me talking about my own experience. So, and another aspect I want to talk about is, so I would not be ready to hear certain messages and to receive certain help until I'm ready. And sometimes that is a few months, sometimes that is a few years. I think the message that I tell myself also apply to the people that we support. What I mean by that is, if I'm supporting another social worker or someone in the human services sector who is feeling burned out, I would really examine holistically what is their assessment, where they are now, and how did they get here? What happened? What were the causes of in which they feel the way they do now? And it's usually a number of factors. There may be, you know, the cam the straw that broke the camel's back, but there's usually stuff from their past or from happening currently. And it's it's the whole package. And I think in order to support someone well is to be able to hold space for that person to put all of that down. It doesn't have to be all right away, but one bit at a time. And if that cannot be done through one person's help, then that's when we need a team. So whether it be additional mental health supporters, uh, whether it be doctors, naturopaths, whether it be physiotherapists, chiropractors. So I think there's such a range of help someone needs when it comes to burnout because the whole person is really needing help, not just one aspect. The second component is you know, the person can only be helped when they're ready to be helped. And so as a friend, maybe to another fellow social worker, if I see that they're stressed, if I see that they're burned out, I could tell them a hundred times like, hey, I think, you know, you need to maybe take a week off and focus on something you want to do, something else, or we could take a weekend trip somewhere and let's just relax. I could tell a friend that a hundred times, but until they're ready to hear that message, they're not going, it's not going to work. I could throw at them like a bunch of, you know, services and, and help. It's just not going to work. They're going to have to need it first, feel like they need it first and want it first. And they, they're going to have to want it so bad that they are willing to put in the work. Because to be honest, to get out of burnout, it's a lot of work. Speaking of personal experience, but also seeing clients go through it, right? So it takes time. It takes a lot of resources and it takes a lot of work. And it's, it sounds daunting, but so when a person is able to receive the help and get out of it or recover and maintain their mental health, it's such a beautiful thing. 
Um, and I think I also recognize that within myself now through this past year of working on myself little by little. And now I feel like, wow, I wouldn't have re reacted to this situation. Uh, I would have reacted so negatively or so differently a year ago. And I just identify these pieces of resilience within myself. And that is such a beautiful thing. And I, and I hope that people who are feeling burned out right now, if you're listening or you know someone who's burned out, know that there is hope and getting the right help will help that person. Going through the process is hard, but at the end, when you start to pick up those pieces of like, I think I feel good today. Wow, I really reacted to that situation well and level-minded, like I would hope for someone else to have responded to a situation. So scenarios like that is really signs of recovery and maintenance. And yeah, that's my message for anyone who's feeling burned out right now. I've been there myself. It feels like there's no end. There is no light at the end of the tunnel, but there is help out there and you just need to want it. Um, and I would say that's the kind of my summary of <laughs> how I would support someone through it. It's amazing. And I really appreciate that you brought up how this is hard work and that a person probably can't do it in isolation. They need support to be able to come out of burnout. And I think that is a really important message right now because there's been this whole self-care movement for a long time telling people that, you know, if you're feeling burned out, if you have compassion fatigue, if you're coming home at the end of the day and just not feeling okay, you need to do self-care. And that's true. Absolutely. You know, take a bubble bath, do some yoga. All of those things are great. Having hobbies that you really enjoy outside of work, really important, but also that's not enough, especially if someone is really deep into burnout. You can't bubble bath away burnout. You can't, you know, and the whole, I see a lot of the people recommending, oh, just go home and have a glass of wine. Well, that's really problematic too. That yes, yes. Maybe so glad you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't recommend that someone engage in, in drinking alcohol because they're feeling burnt out as, as a coping strategy. Wine is lovely. I like wine, but please don't use it to try to treat burnout and don't recommend that to other people. It's, it's so important. The message that, that you're sending right now. You know, it's funny. I was, I was talking to a friend just yesterday about how I knew I wasn't doing well. And so she's not in social services. Um, so she doesn't understand like the ins and outs of actual work. So I was explaining to her, I knew that I wasn't doing well when I started drinking on weekdays after work because I was stressed. And again, there's nothing wrong with drinking. There's nothing wrong with drinking on weekdays, but I was drinking for a different reason and for a reason that I wouldn't want to be drinking for. And I knew at that time, like, okay, this is going to, this might go down somewhere. I don't want to go down that way. And recognizing in that myself, that was a boundary I didn't want to touch. Um, and so I think in order to prevent, like talking about burnout and burnout prevention, I think having some sort of boundary around alcohol or recreational drugs or food or anything that we can easily indulge in could potentially lead to addiction challenges. I would challenge every practitioner to come up with healthy boundaries around those things and stick to those because you can only really do that when you're in a good space to set up those boundaries and preventative measures. 
um, don't try to do that when <laughs> we're already feeling so stressed because probably not going to make the best decisions then. Yeah, having that awareness is super important and having those already established boundaries would really help with that because you're, you're right, there's nothing inherently wrong with drinking on weekdays. Some people do it and they're totally fine. But for you, that was a sign that there was an issue here. And so it was important that you became aware of that and that you set the boundaries and that you tried something different and got the support you needed in order to be able to cope with the burnout in a better, more healthy way. Mm -hmm. If you could sum up your message about coping with burnout as a social worker in just a couple of sentences, what would you want people to take away from this episode today? Oh, I feel like I could write a book about it someday. So I think when we talk about burnout, specifically with social workers, it just seems so inevitable, but it doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that feeling burnt out is a part of being social worker because it's not, and it shouldn't be that way. I think burnout sometimes is placed, kind of seen as a responsibility of the employee and of the person when really there is a component of it. I can't deny that in terms of how we handle stress and our mental health challenges, but a, a huge part of it is external factors that we cannot control. We cannot control what our clients bring into our office that day. We cannot control how our managers deal with certain situations when it comes to funding for our programs and therefore funding for our clients. So I think recognizing that burnout is caused by additional factors outside of our own control may be helpful for whoever is feeling like they're stuck and they're just feeling like they're doing everything. They're putting in 120% every day at work and they're getting nothing in return. We cannot pour and continuously pour from an empty, empty cup. And so I just hope that people realize and recognize that it's not a personal responsibility. And if anyone is feeling burnout, you're not alone. And I really urge people who are feeling that way to take the time and the resources that, that they need in order to feel better and live a life that is true and authentic to themselves. Thank you so much to Hannah for taking the time to share her knowledge and experience. If you want to hear more from Hannah, I definitely recommend checking out her podcast, The Hyphenated Nation. You can find a link in the description box, or you can follow her on Instagram at The Hyphenated Nation. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Social podcast. By sharing information and stories, we hope that you will gain new knowledge and empathy for those who are different from you. We all have unique experiences with mental health based on our backgrounds, experiences, and how we're impacted by the society we live in. What unites us is that we are all deserving of mental health support that is appropriate for our circumstances, accessible, and feels good. Tune in next Friday for another episode.